Welcome to Talk Time with Max Contact, the podcast where we talk about the latest contact center and customer experience, industry news, and insights. Join us as we welcome industry experts, discuss actionable strategies you can apply to your business, and help professionals like you on your path to long-term career progression and success. I'm your host, Sean McIver. Welcome to another episode of Talk Time with Max Contact. I'm your host, Sean McIver, and I'm joined today by Mike Aoki, president of his own consulting firm, Reflexive Keynotes. Specializing in helping small to mid-sized businesses, Mike offers bespoke customer services and sales training via both on-site training and webinars, as well as serving as a keynote speaker and a panelist at various events. With over 20 years of experience in customer service, sales, and management, Mike brings practical examples to his workshops and speeches, leading to improved sales outcomes and increased client satisfaction and loyalty. His expertise has been sought by notable clients such as Equitable Bank, Miele, and Community Trust. He's also been featured in publications like The Globe and Mail and Contact Center Pipeline Magazine. Have I missed anything there, Mike? No, that sounds good, Sean. And thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. No problem at all. Thank you for making the time to join me today. I'm going to dive straight in, and this is a particular topic that's of particular interest to myself because I've been on the front lines as a user, as an agent supporting customers. One of the things I always found within the contact center was that there are a wide range of personality types within a contact center, as with any business. But when it comes to frontline agents and team leaders, there are soft skills that I see as being kind of almost mission critical soft skills. Would you agree with that statement? And if so, kind of what do you find those soft skills are that you really look for in terms of creating something that's a positive and memorable interaction for a customer? Well, that's a really great question, Sean. And I love the fact that you began as a contact center frontline agent. I did as well. And so again, going from the frontline all the way through different levels. And so part of it is what you said. There are certain soft skills. I actually rather call them communication skills as opposed to soft skills, but communication skills that are really vital for someone that's in that kind of a customer-facing role. And I think one of the biggest keys is empathy. I know it's talked about a lot in the business, but empathy is really crucial. Customers seem to be more frustrated than ever. I know sometimes what I call places that I'm a customer of, I feel very frustrated. And there's a lot of pressure right now. And so part of it is just from a customer service frontline standpoint, having that compassion, having that empathy towards your customers. There are a lot of knowledge components as well, obviously how to use the customer relationship management, CRM systems, product knowledge, et cetera. But that can be taught. The key, though, is having the personality, the empathy, also the communication skills as well to communicate that empathy and to explain things as simply as possible. And I love the fact that you mentioned it's not just the frontline agents, it's also the frontline managers. That team lead level, that team manager level is crucial. They also have to have those skills. In this case, though, being empathetic as a team leader towards your frontline agents, what they're going through. And this is especially vital right now when it comes to work from home or hybrid environments, where oftentimes the agent's only contact is going to be their team manager. They're not in the office, they're in their living room, at home. And so their contact ends up being their team leader. And I do believe in the fact that team leaders, team managers are now really the lifeline that agents have to their company. So it's really crucial to go and have, as you mentioned, those soft skills and communication skills, both in the frontline and also in the frontline leadership role. And I think both of these things are really crucial. And the part about the frontline leaders not having enough expertise and enough communication skills to really support their agents isn't talking about as much as it should be right now given the changes that we've been through. 
And so let's just kind of hone in on that a little bit. I mean, one of the things, again, I can only go from my own background and I would love to hear your experience on this. But one of the things that I found was that actually what in my experience, what I've seen a lot of is that when many people first join a contact center, they have an amount of empathy, a good amount of empathy, and they're very considerate of customers. And over time, and maybe this is unfair, but over time, what I've seen is that empathy almost corrodes. And what happens is you move up through the contact center, the empathy kind of gets left behind. How do we bridge that gap? How do we make sure that we don't forget the empathy through all of the hierarchy levels of the contact center industry? Well, you know, I think part of it, Sean, that's a really great observation. I've seen the same thing as well, is at the front line level, certainly, it's being able to help reinforce positives with the agents. Bear in mind, again, the reason why someone calls customer service is because they have a problem. And so at its best, it's a question from a customer. At its worst, it's a complaint. Or even worse, a really irate customer shouting, yelling, et cetera. It has a corrosive effect. And when you have frontline agents, employees are spending 80 or 90% of their time talking to outside people who are upset about something, it's going to have, as you said, that kind of empathy corroding effect. And so it has to be counterbalanced by the team manager, by the managers, by the whole leadership in the contact center of positives. Okay. It's not just getting hammered by 80 calls a day as an agent. It's, but what are you accomplishing now? You've been able to go and maybe retain hopefully all 80 customers. What are customers saying in MPS scores or CSAT scores in terms of doing that? So customer satisfaction or net promoter scores in terms of positives. And are you passing that feedback, that positive feedback along to your agents? And it goes into things like coaching and quality management as well. I've seen it. I know you've probably experienced this as well. A lot of those systems, especially quality assurance, quality management, are really, unfortunately, about catching things that are wrong. It shouldn't be, but oftentimes it becomes that. And coaching is where you go to get criticized. Okay? And that's wrong. The key about this is your agents are getting hit with enough negatives as it is. You need a lot of positives to counteract that and to keep the positivity and the empathy up. And so being able to give positive feedback in quality assurance and in coaching, being able to communicate success stories that people have had, being able to express thanks, and not just a pizza party, okay, but really genuine thanks, all right, for that, and also showing what the impact is. And what happens to you, an example I mentioned for one of my clients was they were in a, an industry where there are a couple of things happening just in the industry where it was driving a lot of very negative, very angry calls. The challenge was, though, only about 10% of their customer base was actually calling in. 90% of people didn't call in at all that year. Only 10% did that year, but it made up 100% of the contacts, the yelling that the agents were hearing. And they eventually became almost brainwashed in a way to believe that it was all negative. The products were all bad. The products always failed. Okay. And they needed that reality check, that, that distant perspective of, but no, only 10% of the people are calling in. It's 100% of your calls and, and emails, but it's only 10% of the base calling in. 90% are happy. Surveys show whatever, 70, 80% were thrilled, et cetera. That perspective is important. Otherwise, an agent work from home or hybrid in their living room, only hearing negatives is going to start to wear down. It's going to start to feel hopeless and helpless. And then the empathy goes. So I know it's a bit of a long explanation, but that perspective is crucial and leaders have to do it. That positivity is crucial. Leaders have to do it. It comes from the top down. So let me just unpack some of what you've just been into, because there's a lot there to unpack. And you've touched some things that I think are really kind of critical that we acknowledge here. And the first one of those for me is something that you mentioned around thanking someone genuinely and not just with a pizza party, as you said, because that can, I suppose my question is, how do you provide genuine thanks in a way that's impactful and actually enhances that sense of 
pride in one's work and avoid something that is simply lip service. Because I've seen it in both sides. I've seen it whereby I've done something over and above and beyond when I was in the contact center. And I've had the contact center manager in passing, someone of a higher up in the contact center organization, walking past and going, oh, I listened to your call. That was really good. Thanks. And carrying on walking. And that offhand comment coming from such a high station, perceived high station in the contact center, which is quite hierarchical generally, was much more impactful. But at the same time, I've also had it where my direct manager, for example, has turned around and said, oh, yeah, thanks for that. And I'm like that. Eh. How do we actually give genuine thanks and recognition that is impactful? Right. Well, you know, Sean, one of my favorite sayings is specificity is sincerity. And so part of it is, as you give positive feedback, to be specific about that. And so whether it's a VP or whether it's your direct team leader, it really is about saying exactly what was done well and showing that recognition. So it's not just passing the hallway and saying, good job on your last call. And you have no clue what exactly was good or what went well during it. But to be more specific about that, maybe not at the VP level, but certainly at your team manager or quality assurance level, be more specific. Where it's, Sean, great job on your last call. I love the way that you asked those diagnostic questions to figure out the root cause of the problem. Really well done. Okay. When you give that specificity, it actually has two purposes. One of them is it shows the fact that you're actually being positive about something very specific. You actually did hear the call. You're not just saying good call, just to you know, be nice about things. And you heard specific good things about that call. So that's one key thing. Again, specificity is sincerity. The second part of it, though, from a coaching standpoint is you want to be specific about what was done well, so it actually gets repeated. Because what gets recognized that way gets repeated. So it's asking great diagnostic questions. And specifically, you might even drill down even one more level, specifically asking a diagnostic question like when to the customer about when you rebooted, what did you see on screen? What was the air meshes that popped up? So just being that specific. And I know it's challenging because there is a lot of time pressure, even from a team lead level or quality assurance coaches level as far as how much they can do in a half hour, hour long coaching session. But you know what? The specificity is crucial. It's going to show the sincerity, the genuineness, and it's going to give genuine coaching points so that the person can actually repeat those great things over and over again. People get tired of hearing platitudes. Hey, great job. Terrific. Rehoo away. Really wonderful. Feels good once. You know what? After several months or a year, it falls flat. It's got to be genuine, like you said. And I think it's interesting because the phrase that you've mentioned there, specificity, I think I really like the fact that that can be both constructive, shall we say, as well as complementary. It can work in both directions, so it can apply universally to coaching. And I think that that's a really, really nice phrasing to use in terms of that. Yeah, I really like that. I want to touch on something else that you mentioned as well, and that was around conflict resolution. Now, for me, conflict resolution, I'll give you a very little bit of background here so you've got context. I worked in a department for a utility company where customers were calling up and the only purpose of their call was to reduce their service levels. Whether that was through negative experience, whether that was through budgetary concerns, that was the nature of every call that we received. And as a result of that, conflict resolution came into it quite a lot. It's an inevitable part of that customer experience. And I guess, what am I even asking here? What strategies can we apply for frontline agents and team leaders to balance the need to assist and provide excellent customer service with still needing to assert a position the business has. We can't give every customer free everything all the time, always. There has to be a break point. And how do we identify that? How do we go about ensuring that we are an allocating effort as necessary in that sense? 
Right. Well, you know, you brought a really good point, Sean, in the sense that you're obviously balancing or, you know, customer service people are balancing two different parameters, which is what's best for the business and what's best for the customer. Ideally, they're the same. Ideally, they overlap perfectly. In reality, they, they may not sometimes. And so there is a negotiating part there. Part of it is an educational process from the management through the team lead through the agent in terms of what are some of those parameters. So what is that kind of minimum level where you really can't go any lower? where you're giving away the store, for instance, and you can't go any lower than that. What are cases for exceptions that might take place with that? But more importantly than that, what are some alternatives? It's really difficult if you're asking agents on the spot to make up their own policies or their own procedures. There has to be some parameters in there and some suggestions in terms of what else they can offer. So for a customer that fits a certain profile, what's a fallback position? What is an offer you can make? What are the exceptions for that? There should be some guidelines. And not to say like hard policy procedures or floors, but guidelines in that sense. And a guideline isn't just saying, Sean, you cannot go lower than $10 an hour or whatever, a kilowatt hour or whatever it is. It's got to be more than that. Why can't you? What else can you do? Are there any special corporate programs for low-income earners or people that are on assistance, et cetera? Are there any fallbacks? It has to be more nuanced, more complex than that. Because just giving a blanket rule without telling people why and what they can actually say to customers leaves the agent on the spot. And it also gives too much of a variance as far as a message that goes out that takes place. I think also there's an element here of empowering staff. Exactly. If you're in a scenario whereby you have a remit and a range that you can work within, again, if we talk about four or five years in a contact center on the front lines, I would be confident in putting my career on the line and saying, you're going to come across a call across those hundreds of thousands you deal with that is an exception, that is in a really like way, way out there extenuating circumstance. And you need to be able to either know that you've got the backing of the business to accommodate something that maybe is out with, given what's happened, or you need to know that you can pick up the phone and reach out and actually find out and know that you're going to be able to explore what you can do because it is going beyond the bounds. Is that a fair assessment? It's a very fair assessment. I like what you said, too, about the fact that there has to be parameters, you know, in terms of a range what people can do. And it's funny, too, I find at a management level, there's a fear that if we empower agents and let them give, say, X number of credits or X dollar value of credits per day, per hour, whatever it is, they're going to give away the store. The funny part is this, though, typically, because agents understand the product well, they know what the parameters are, for the most part, they'll tend not to give away too many credits. It's usually I find the managers and directors that tend to give one month free service, things like that, because they don't know what else to negotiate on in doing that. And a real life example I'll give you is one contact center that I was involved with. The fear was if we empower the frontline agents, okay, to go and give away modest credits for customer service issues, they'll give a lot away. The reality was it turned out that when they were empowered, they actually gave away less than what the managers were giving away per customer. Okay, because again, the agents knew about that. Some agents were just like, no, there's other ways to do it besides giving money away. (laughs) And even though they weren't penalized or anything, they're within their boundaries, they tend to shy away from giving too many credits in terms of doing that. So empowering your agents, as long as you're properly trained on how to make those decisions, they won't give away as much as your directors and VPs are afraid they're going to give away. So that's one key thing. The second thing that I love that you mentioned too was either empowering your agents or having some kind of an escalation process before giving a damaging no of some kind. Because now with social media, there's a huge reputational risk. And that one exception per month, per year, it can blow up badly in social media. So it's really important because of the damage to reputational risk that there is some kind of an escalation process. Something where, the, where an agent can in the back of the mind think, oh boy, I want to watch this one. Ask the customer to hold and then talk to a manager or director. 
and get more of a sense of perspective with that. Because we've all seen examples in the media where one story, one thing pops up. And being in the business, you kind of realize it was probably one out of like two and a half million calls that year. But that's the one that goes to the front cover of a, a CNN website or something else that's there. So it's really important to go and have that escalations queue as well. It's interesting as well, because this is kind of coming full circle back around to what we started out with this conversation of talking around, and that was around the soft skills, the empathy specifically. And one of the things that I've always found is that whether I'm the customer, whether I'm the advisor, or wherever I sit within that customer experience journey, actually, the overall compensation that comes out of that journey, if there is such required, for me, it's always been a secondary Now, obviously, that's not a universal, but the bigger thing for me as the customer is more around, I want to just know that it's going to be resolved. I want to know that I've been heard and that I've been understood and that what I'm saying isn't just falling into a machine, if that makes sense. And I think that that's one of the critical things whereby if you get that empathic type profile of your staff right and they're empowered they can understand where on that journey those levers need to be pulled to get the best outcome and i think that there and i'm going to speak way out of turn here but i think there's a risk that again as we move further away from that front line the risk that we have there is that we lose sight of the value of that empathy And again, I realize that's not a question, that's more an observation, but I would offer that back to you as a reflection. (laughs) You mentioned a really key point in terms of what you're talking about, which is what customers want, which is to feel heard and understood. And there's two components with that. One is the actual empathy and customer service skills of the agent that they're speaking with. The second part of that, though, is also a system, which is, is there a system to capture the voice of the customer? Is there a system in place where that feedback actually gets forwarded and gets acted on? which is a key component as well. Because the frustration oftentimes is, as a customer, you might give a great idea or a great question or see something there and talk to a customer service agent. And the agent may be perfectly empathetic and supportive and say, I'll forward that to management, et cetera. But if there's no mechanism there to go and do it, it just dies. And also at the frontline agent level as well, they're your eyes and ears for a company. They talk to customers. Okay, marketing puts commercials out there, but your agents actually talk and interact with your customers. Okay, and so it's really crucial to go and get that feedback. It's a goldmine of information from out there in the field. There's got to be a mechanism to capture that. There's got to be a voice of the customer program to actually feed that back. And also, I'm going to say one other thing, and in terms of being able to help keep morale in the call center or contact center up is a feedback loop. So it's not just that you pass an agent passes a customer comment on to their manager, director, into marketing, IT, warehouse, whatever, but there's a feedback loop. What got done with that information? What's getting changed because of that? And it's got to be fed back to the agents so the agents know that their feedback is actually worth something as well, whether it's voice of the customer or voice of the employee, that's something that they're being heard and getting done. Because believe me, agents are just as frustrated as customers are in a lot of organizations because they're not being heard and things aren't being passed along. And that's as you get into the higher levels, you mentioned the empathy piece. The empathy has to be there or at least the business realization of the value of the feedback and the value of their morale and the value of retaining customers and the value of retaining frontline agents. Okay, and actually keeping them hopefully for four or five years. Bear in mind, again, a lot of contact centers bleed off 30 to 100% of their staff every year, that much turnover. And so it gets really expensive as well. And I think that's a really important point. Seeing as you've touched on it, I'm going to leverage that point just a little bit at the moment and just talk about how that entire dynamic has changed over the last few years 
Are we simply more aware of the needs of that now, as perhaps we previously were, with more people working remotely, the, quote, great resignation, unquote, and the challenges this has presented to business? Is it simply that we're just more, it's more cognizant in the collective? Are we more aware of it? I think there's a couple of things here. One of them is just the awareness of how expensive it is to go and hire, you know, to recruit, to hire, to train, to ramp someone up. So that's one thing. And the second thing is how the nature of the agent's position or job is changing as well with things like advanced AI, chatbots, chat GPT, et cetera. Big change there. So I'll talk about a couple of those things. First one of this in terms of just awareness of the cost of recruitment and hiring and training and turnover. And you're right about that. It's so hard now to find good people. And then you have to actually go through a training process, a ramp up curve. Ballpark estimate for most places is it takes a lot of them will do anywhere between two and six weeks worth of new hire training. It takes another two to four to six weeks of nesting, basically. So in a supervised area, being able to ramp up and take live calls, it can take six months, even up to a year to really get reasonably good at your role and a year to two years to really master your role. And yet, if you're bleeding off 30 to 100% of your staff in that first year, you're winding up with a contact center where half of the people are so brand new, they're not really that productive and they're making mistakes and they're driving a lot of issues with incorrect information given out and, and badly handled calls, et cetera. And yet it's not there their fault. But it's just that's how a lot of systems are run. And so there's a damage to that in terms of, of doing that. One of my, and again, I don't, I don't give it too much, um, I won't say who, but I know one company that's out there, they've estimated the cost of replacing a person. And they, they're very technically, there's a big technical ramp up curve because it's in a high tech industry, but they've estimated that to replace one person, your loss of productivity when one quits and you replace one with a ramp up in training is almost $75,000. Okay. That's the loss to recruit, to hire, to train, to get them to a spot where they're very productive. If you lose one veteran and you have to ramp up, it takes nine months to really get them good or a year to really get them good, you probably lost about $75,000 in overall cost to do that, okay? That's one thing, is that awareness. And I think more VPs and directors in HR departments are aware that it's not same old, same old. It really is important to go focus on that. The other analogy I'll give is this, if you were running a product and you were losing 30% of your customers every year. You'd be panicking okay, over that and doing everything you could to retain those customers. Yet in a contact center, it's like, ah, 30% turnover. That's not bad. No, it's really bad okay, in terms of doing that. And it is possible to reduce it. I have seen some contact centers have got it down as low as 9% turnover per year and mostly internal promotions. okay. But they did it though by having the proper environment of positive coaching, positive reinforcement, of growth and career pathing, of being able to go and, and they pay pretty well too in doing that. So they've been able to help make that a lot better. So it is possible to go and do. The second thing I'll mention too is the part about why it's so important, even more important how to retain good people is because of things like chat GPT and other advanced AIs and chatbots. They're able to go and take a lot of the basic calls. How late is your store in Toronto open tonight? Uh, where do I ship back the, the, this product for a return? Those routine things now, chatbots can do. And so what's happening is that your skill set level for agents is moving up, becoming more senior now. You're looking for qualities now, such as advanced empathy, advanced negotiation skills that you wouldn't have even considered asking for 10 years ago or even five years ago. But along with that raise in skills comes a rise in salary, hopefully. Okay. Definitely a rise in terms of trying to find really good people and retain them. So that's also driving that as well. So a couple of things that hopefully help with that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to, um, again, you keep teeing up my next kind of point really well. So thank you for this. This is great. We're in the advent of AI and chat GPT and generative language. And that whole, that is a spark that is just waiting to catch fire at the moment. 
And there's a lot of conversations happening around the future of the contact center. And on some hands, we're hearing we'll see a significant, it'll be the collapse of the industry because everything will move to AI and generative language and it'll all be done by bots. On the other hand, well, people are, some areas are also saying, well, yeah, but look at the uptake of email. Email's been around for how long? And yet 80% of our contact center traffic is still calls. Therefore, actually, no, that's not going to be the case. How do you see the next few years going, I suppose, in that, on, on that scale? And how do we do that in a way that is still preserving that customer experience-centric focus? Right. Well, I think a lot of it will be driven in terms of what customers want. And some customers will go for chatbots, for instance. They want a quick answer. They don't want to talk to a person. They'll end up, so they'll end up talking to a chatbot really quickly or asking a question, getting a written answer back and thinking, wow, that's great. You know, that'll be it. There'll be other people too. And again, there's some demographics involved as well. Okay. So typically, again, if you look at, say, Gen Zs, younger millennials, they actually prefer to go and interact with a chatbot or do web self-service. They don't want to talk to a person necessarily unless it's a really complex issue. But if it's just how late is your store in Toronto open tonight, they just want to get that very quickly off a website or what address do I need to go and send this back to and get the address from a chatbot. You will find as well to other demographics. And again, not to stereotype, everyone's different within every demographic, but typically older demographics, looking at boomers, for instance, Gen Xers, et cetera, they may want to go and still talk on the phone to somebody to go and do it and not necessarily want to interact through a chatbot. So there's some generational issues that are there, okay, in terms of doing that. I'll give you a great example from the banking industry. So if you look, I remember being in banking 30 years ago, you know, working in a bank branch and being told now with automated banking machines that within 10 years, so by 1990, by 2000, there wouldn't be any more bank branches. Everybody would just go to machines and go and do it. And of course, now if you look, there is still a lot of bank branches around and they're still full at times in terms of doing that. So some folks will always want to go and have that human touch. I think the changes will be a couple. One of them is, I think, that typically calls are typically done now by and interactions that are done by tier one agents. Quite a bit of that can be done by chatbots, especially as they get more sophisticated. And so I think some of the skill demands will be for more agents in terms of having more tier two type skills, more second level skills. So again, advanced negotiation skills, more empathy, et cetera, more higher problem solving skills. So I think it'll be a bit more of that migration taking place in terms of doing that. But I think in terms of overall volume too, ChatGPT and other AIs, it really opens up a lot more volume for people. And so it may not be a case where you end up with, just to give a round number, 100,000 interactions a day, and ChatGPT will do like 900 out of, the, out of 1,000, and you only need like one agent now to answer 100 calls. It may end up being that in terms of, of doing this. Now with customers being able to access a lot more answers faster, you might have two or 3,000 contacts. Okay, with maybe say out of 3,000, 2,500 now going through advanced chatbots, 500 going through live agents. So again, it does kind of change things, but I think I don't see the drastic kind of the end of human contact centers taking place along with that because folks will either always want to talk to a live, some folks will always want to talk to a live person. All folks with complex issues, with emotional issues, with non-standard issues that the chatbot can't solve, will still have to go and talk to a live person eventually. So it'll be demands. But I do think it will involve a lot of upskilling in the contact center. And so it's a bit of a round and long answer, but still, that's kind of where things kind of look right now anyway. Yeah. And I think that feeds in to one of us. I'm conscious of time and there's a couple of other things that I want to touch on. One of those is around what you've just mentioned, and that's that elevation of taking someone from tier one to tier two, from tier two to tier three, even moving them up through the hierarchy of the contact center itself. So from frontline member of the team to supportive to team lead to then leader of teams. And I suppose my question there is within the work that you yourself do around provision of training 
I suppose, what's, are there common threads that you feel are missing? Are there certain aspects that continually surprise you that other people haven't thought of within this particular industry? It's funny you mention that, Sean. I think one of the biggest gaps that's out there is the leadership development piece in the sense that in many cases, especially if I'm from the agent team lead level, the team leaders typically are not groomed and kind of trained or career path ahead of time. Okay, so in other words, I've only seen a few contacts as we'll look at their senior agents and think which one of those could become a really good team leader and then help give them a program over the next six months to actually gear up their skills towards that. Typically what happens is there's a vacancy at the team lead level. They put out a posting. They then pick somebody from the agent level, you know, to come up and congratulations, you're a team leader, go to it. And hopefully then, and some places will give training then for a newly promoted team leader how to be a team leader. A lot of them don't though. And so what happens is the team leader typically will do whatever they think they learned from whatever team leaders they've had in the past. Hopefully it was good. Hopefully it was good, but it might not be. But it's even a lot of chance. So I think proper career development, especially from that age to team lead level, is really crucial. And identifying high prospects as well is really crucial in terms of doing that. I think just on the back of that, one of the things that I remember being told very early in my career when I was still on the phones in fact, it might even have been one of my first jobs while I was still studying, was just because someone's a fantastic salesperson, as an example, does not mean that they're then going to be a fantastic team leader. And it's a very specific skill set. And again, we keep coming back to it, but you've got to have that empathy. And to stereotype for the purposes of illustration, if you've got someone who's exceptional at sales because they really go for that target and they really go for the forgive the phrasing, but they really, they're out for blood, they go for the kill, they really need to get those numbers. I can see environments where that could actually be really damaging in terms of moving someone into a team lead or leader of people because it's a different skill set there. And I think that's something that I've seen previous roles, that's something that can lead to challenges. Well, and I've seen the same thing as well, having trained salespeople, you're right in terms of that. And in, again, an individual salesperson is rewarded because of their individual sales or individual initiative, right? Their ability to go and actually go out and get that sale. But again, being the manager is completely different. So you mentioned empathy, leadership skills, but also organizational skills. Again, salespeople are notorious for not doing their paperwork or submitting receipts, expense reports, et cetera. It's a cliche that we've all done in sales. But as a manager, the person actually has to get those things, produce the reports for your higher ups, a lot of bookkeeping, you know, a lot of trend analysis, right? Things like that. So it's a very different skill set. And the same too in a customer service contact center, where again, you're asking a team leader or manager to have a very different skill set now than they had as a frontline agent. And so again, part of it is just being able to recognize what do you want in your leaders and what are you looking for? And then who has the potential to grow into it? Because not everyone does. And also some of your best agents might be happy being an agent and not wanting the hassle of looking after 14 other people's exceptions and escalations and cases, et cetera. And that's okay too. Not everyone has to get promoted and not everyone wants to get promoted. So it's also important as in environments where you do have a lot of progression or career pathing to also say, if you're happy where you are, that's okay too. You don't have to do it. Because I've seen some environments there where some folks are happy with what they do. They've got lots of great concerns or things that they love to do outside of work. And they just want a steady paycheck and a very sort of manageable role. And they don't want any more of that. And they feel pressured to have to say, yes, I want to go to marketing in two years. That kind of thing. It's like, no, it's okay to say you're happy with where you are too. And that's fine too. So again, just a perspective and some balance there about career progression. I agree entirely with that. I think there's this expectation of progression on all sides. And I think it's important to recognize that work-life balance is hugely critical. And there's nothing wrong with promoting a work-life balance and saying, do you know what? If you 
haven't got that desire or you don't have the requirement in your life to progress onwards, that's no problem at all. But that doesn't mean that we can't still continue to support you to be an absolute superstar of a frontline member of this company. Yes, definitely. There's one last thing that's a bit of a left field one here. We've kind of centered around empathy as a kind of, that's been the tentpole for this conversation. And we talked about things that can corrode empathy. One of the ones that I just wanted to talk around is some of those other temples within the contact center, the tools, the systems, the processes, those things can all be corrosive to empathy. I just wondered if you wouldn't mind closing out by kind of just talking around preservation of empathy through that lens, if that's okay. Okay, certainly, definitely. So part of a leadership role is being able to provide your frontline with the right tools and tools that help them do their job. One of the challenges are, of course, legacy systems, old billing systems, incompatible systems. I saw one example where a company grew through mergers and they happened to inherit the billing systems and CRM systems of a number of different merged companies. And so it was just awful for the agent because I sat next to them and they had over 20 screens to look at. They had to ask a customer about their account number and there were different formats for the account numbers based upon whatever merged company was from, and then they had to find the right system. So it might be, Sean, you call and ask what your account number is. I might even have to ask you, if you don't mind me asking six months ago, what was it, what company were you dealing with? And then find the right one of those particular apps or 20 apps or screens and, oh, that ABC company that you know, we bought them six months ago. That's the nine digit format. Okay. With the letters at the end. Okay. Now I got your account. And they're all different policies, different procedures. The problem is, though, you're asking your agents to spend more time babysitting their tech systems than they are talking to a customer. And the empathy goes right out the window in terms of doing that. So part of the role from a leadership perspective is being able to streamline that, giving the right tools. Perfect example I'll give you is for knowledge management systems. Okay, a lot of knowledge, knowledge bases will tend to have written text articles that read almost like small novels, okay, for information. And you can't search at a granular enough levels to really find that specific paragraph or sentence that you need. And so it ends up being really cumbersome for agents. Flip side of that is there's some really great systems out there where you can actually queue in specifically what you're looking for and it'll bring up just the one sentence that you need or a flow in a visual flowchart process. So not five paragraphs, but five bullet points with arrows and even a little bit of a flowchart for you. So it's much easier for the agent to answer those questions. The more of the less of a burden that they have on their plate to manage systems and manage tech, the more they can focus on your customers and make your customers happy. And the agents feel better too, because their job is easier and they can focus on what they want to do, which is helping people and feel that satisfaction from helping people. But that's not at an agent level, that's a leadership level. They've got to straighten that out and work with IT, work with project management to really straighten that out. I know it's easier said than done, but it is a huge issue in the industry. Agreed. And I think that for me, just to kind of close that out with my own thoughts, is that that's why promotion from within up the hierarchies is so critically important. The further you are from the front lines, the further removed you are from those experiences. And if you've not got that feedback loop, as you mentioned earlier on, you're not going to be hearing those things as being challenges. And that's going to be a, the silent killer of empathy, I suppose, is one way to frame it. Right, exactly. I'm conscious of time. Unfortunately, I could continue talking to you for another half an hour. I won't do that to you, don't worry. But I would like to take this opportunity, Mike Aoki, to say thank you ever so much, President of Reflexive Keynotes. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. And yeah, hopefully continuing the conversation soon. Okay, I like that, Sean. And thank you very much as well for having me on your show. I appreciate that and I've enjoyed our conversation. Excellent, thank you so much. Talk Time is brought to you by Max Contact. To find out more about Max Contact and how our customer engagement software can help you and your teams provide smarter customer experiences, visit maxcontact.com 
and book your personalized demo today. Be sure to search Talk Time with Max Contact in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And leave us a positive rating to help other like-minded individuals join the conversation. Finally, before you go, never miss a future episode by clicking the subscribe button and turning on notifications. On behalf of the team here at Max Contact, thanks for listening. <laughs>